Hare Krishna. Welcome to tonight's reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Thank you for joining us, wherever you may be. We're continuing with Srimad Bhagavatam, the cosmic manifestation as the canto, and Purusha Sukta confirmed is the chapter we're taking up at 2635. Although I am the great Brahma, perfect in the disciplic succession of Vedic wisdom, and although I have undergone all austerities and I'm an expert in mystic powers and self-realization, and although I am recognized as such by great forefathers and living entities who offer me respectful obeisances, still I cannot understand him, the Lord, the very source of my birth. Purport, Brahma, the greatest of all living creatures within the universe, is admitting his failure to know the Supreme Lord despite his vast learning in the Vedic wisdom. Despite his austerity, penance, mystic powers, and self-realization, and despite being worshipped by the great Prajapatis, the forefathers of the living entities. So these qualifications are not sufficient to know the Supreme Lord, Brahmaji, Supreme Lord, period. Brahmaji could understand the Lord to a little extent only when he was trying to serve him by the eagerness of his heart. Hridhaut Kant Yavata, which is the devotional service mood. Okay. This is um, from 2.635. And uh, it's an important point here that um, he could, Brahma could understand him only to a little extent, only when he was trying to serve him by the eagerness of his heart. And the word used there is hridhau kuntyavata, which is the devotional service mood eagerness of his heart. Therefore, the Lord can be known only by the sincere mood of eagerness for service and not by any amount of material qualification as scientist or speculative philosopher and not by any amount of material qualification as scientist or speculative philosopher or by any amount of mystic powers. This fact is clearly corroborated in the Bhagavad Gita. Brahmaputa prasannatma nashochati nakankshati samaksarveshu bhuteshu madbhaktim labate param bhaktya mam abhijanati yavan yashchasmi tattvataha tatomam tattvato gyadva vishate taranantaram Only self-realization by attainment of the above high qualification of Vedic wisdom, austerity, etc., can help one on the path of devotional service. But failing in devotional service, one remains still imperfect because even in that position of self-realization, one cannot factually know the Supreme Lord. By self-realization, one is qualified to become a devotee, and the devotee, by service mood, bhaktiya only, can gradually know this, the personality of Godhead. One should not, however, misunderstand the import of vishite enters into as referring to merging into the existence of the Supreme. Even in material existence, one is merged in the existence of the Lord. 
No materialist can disentangle self from matter, for the self is merged in the external energy of the Lord. As no layman can separate butter from milk, no one can extricate the merged self from matter by acquiring some material qualification. That's an analogy. So just as no layman can separate butter from milk, no one can extricate the merged self from matter by acquiring some material qualification. It's still within 2.635. This vishite, by devotion, bhaktiya, means to be able to participate in the association of the Lord in person. Bhakti, or devotional service to the Lord, means to become free from material entanglement and then to enter into the kingdom of God, becoming one like Him. Losing one's individuality is not the aim of bhakti yoga or of the devotees of the Lord. There are five types of liberation, one of which is called sayuja mukti, or being merged into the existence of or body of the Lord. The other forms of liberation maintain the individuality of the particle soul and involve being always engaged in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. The word vishite used in the verses of the Bhagavad Gita is thus meant for the devotees who are not at all anxious for any kind of liberation. The devotees are satisfied simply in being engaged in the service of the Lord regardless of the situation. Lord Brahma is the first living being who directly learned the Vedic wisdom from the Lord. Therefore, who can be a more learned Vedantist than Lord Brahma? He admits that in spite of his perfect knowledge in the Vedas, he was unable to know the glories of the Lord. Since no one can be, can be more than Lord Brahma, how can a so-called Vedantist be perfectly cognizant of the Absolute Truth? The so-called Vedantists, therefore, cannot enter into the existence of the, of the Lord without being trained in the matter of bhakti-vedanta or Vedanta plus bhakti. Vedanta means self-realization and bhakti means the absolute truth, the personality of Godhead, excuse me. And bhakti means realization of the personality of Godhead to some extent. No one can know the personality of God in full, but at least to a certain extent one can know the absolute truth, the personality of Godhead by self-surrender and a devotional attitude, and, not, and by nothing else. In the Brahma Samhita also it is said, Vedeshu Durlabham, or, or simply by study of Vedanta, one can hardly find out the existence of the personality of Godhead. But the Lord is a Durlabham Atma Bhaktao, very easily available to his devotee. Srila Vyasadeva, therefore, was not satisfied simply with compiling the Vedanta Sutras, but over and above this, by the advice of his spiritual master, Narada, he compiled the Srimad Bhagavatam in order to understand the real import of Vedanta. Srimad Bhagavatam, therefore, is the absolute medium by which the absolute truth, by which to understand the absolute truth. Om Ajnana Timidam Dasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshuran Militam Dena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitam Nena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam
Vande ham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Padakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatham Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvatutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padang Sahagana Lalita Shivashakan Vitamscha He Krishna Karuna Sindo Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Damostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vancha Kolpatarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhyevacha Patitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vrinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So in the first purport, in which uh, Brahma's qualification for understanding Krishna is distinguished, uh, Srila Prabhupada distinguishes that it's not by his intelligence, but by his eagerness to know the absolute truth and serve him. That uh, Krishna, to some extent, reveals himself, and then Prabhupada quotes Bhaktimam Amijananti Yavan Yashchasmi Tattvataha Tatomam Tattvato Gyatva Vishite Taranantaram. So Vishite, just like the word Vishnu means one who's entered within everything, who's penetrated everywhere. Uh, Vishite Taranantara means that um, if you do bhakti, or only by bhakti, can you uh, enter into my existence. So Mayavadis take this to mean that we merge. But uh, Prabhupada points out that we're already merged in the Lord's energy. When we're in the material world, we're merged. We're merged in the external energy of the Lord. So merging into the Lord's energy, existence or his internal potency doesn't mean that we become homogeneously one or that we give up our individual existence and certainly not by practicing bhakti do we give up our individual existence rather it becomes augmented because of our relationship with krishna so nitya nitya sambandha prakritischa paraivasa we all have an eternal relationship with krishna it's been obscured and i've diverted that uh, same loving energy that I have into my relationships that are uh, in relationship with my body. So uh, the eagerness factor is very important. It's something mentioned by Rupa Goswami when he gives a quintessential verse that describes the qualification for one taking to the process of bhakti or being successful in it. When he says, Krishna bhakti rasa bhavato mati kriyatam yari kritopi labhyate tatalolium apimulyam ekalam janmakoti sukratirna labhyate. He says, the only qualification for getting devotional service is one's eagerness for it. 
And the word he uses is lulium, which is sometimes translated as greed. Tatalulium apimulium ekalam. This is the root cause of devotional service, is one's eagerness to, to know Krishna, to serve Krishna. And then he says that you can't attain Krishna even if you perform thousands of lifetimes of pious activities. Uh, and he then uh, concludes by saying that if bhakti is available somewhere, you should go there immediately and get it. Don't wait. You should run, don't walk, to try to get bhakti. Because if it's available somewhere, uh, it's really rare, and you should grab it as fast as you can. We're continuing from uh, 2636. Therefore, it is best for me to surrender unto his feet, which alone can deliver one from the miseries of repeated birth and death. Such surrender is all auspicious and allows one to perceive all happiness. Even the sky cannot estimate the limits of its own expansion. So what can others do when the Lord himself is unable to estimate his own limits? Lord Brahma, the greatest of all learned living beings, the greatest sacrificer, the greatest observer of the austere life, and the greatest self-realized mystic, advises us, as the supreme spiritual master of all living beings, that one should simply surrender unto the lotus feet of the Lord in order to achieve all success, even up to the limit of being liberated from the miseries of mature life and being endowed with all auspicious spiritual existence. Lord Brahma is known as the Pitamaha, or the Father's Father. A young man consults his experienced father about discharging his duties, so the father is naturally a good advisor. But Lord Brahma is the father of all fathers. He is the father of the father of Manu, who is the father of mankind all over the universal planets. Therefore, the men of this insignificant planet should kindly accept the instruction of Brahmaji and would do well to surrender unto the lotus feet of the Lord rather and try to estimate the length and the breadth of the Lord's potencies. His potencies are immeasurable, as confirmed in the Vedas. He is the greatest of all, and all others, even the greatest of all living beings, namely Brahmaji, admits that the best thing for us is to surrender to him. Therefore, only those persons with a very poor fund of knowledge claim that they themselves are lords of all they survey. And what can they survey? They cannot survey even the length and breadth of a small sky in one small universe. The so-called material scientist says that he would need to live 40,000 years to reach the highest planet of the universe being carried by a Sputnik. This is also utopian because no one can be expected to live for 40,000 years. Besides, when the space pilot returned from his arrival, from his travel, none of his friends would be present to receive him back as the greatest astronaut, as has become fashionable for modern bewildered scientific men. One scientific man who had no belief in God was very much enthusiastic in making plans for his material existence and therefore opened a hospital to save the living. 
but after opening the hospital, he himself died within six months. So one should not spoil his human life, species of life, simply for the concocted material happiness of life through increasing artificial needs in the name of advanced economic development and scientific knowledge. Rather, one should simply surrender unto the feet of the Lord to make a solution to all miseries of life. This is the instruction of Lord Krishna directly in the Bhagavad Gita, and that is the instruction of Srimad Bhagavatam by Brahmaji, the Supreme Father of all living beings. Anyone denying this surrendering process as recommended both in the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam, and for that matter in all authorized scriptures, will be forced to surrender unto the laws of material nature. The living entity by his constitutional position is not independent. He must surrender either unto the Lord or unto material nature. Material nature is also not independent of the Lord since the Lord himself has claimed material nature as Mama. The Lord himself has claimed material nature as Mama Maya or my energy and as me bina prakritir ashtada or my separated energy in eight divisions. Therefore, material nature is also controlled by the Lord, as he has claimed in Bhagavad Gita 9.10. Mayadyakshena prakriti suyate saturacharam. Under my direction only is material nature working, and thus, thus all are th- and thus are all things moving. In and the living entities, being superior energy to matter, have choice and discrimination either to surrender unto the Lord or just surrender unto material nature. By surrendering unto the Lord, one is happy and liberated, but by surrendering unto material nature, the living entity suffers. So the end of all suffering means surrendering unto the Lord, because the surrendering process itself is bhava chidam, liberation from all material miseries. Swastayanam, perception of all happiness, and sumangalam, the source of everything auspicious. Therefore, liberty, happiness, and all good fortune can be attained only by surrendering unto the Lord because he is full liberty, full happiness, and full auspiciousness. Such liberation and happiness are also unlimited, and they have been compared to the sky, although such liberation and happiness are infinitely greater than the sky. In our present position, we can simply understand the magnitude of greatness when it is compared to the sky. We fail to measure the sky, but the happiness and liberty obtained in association with the Lord are far greater than the sky. That spiritual happiness is so great that it cannot be measured, even by the Lord himself, not to speak of others. It is said in the scriptures, Brahma Saukyam Twanantam, spiritual happiness is unlimited. Here it is said that even the Lord cannot measure such happiness. This does not mean that the Lord cannot measure it and is therefore imperfect in that sense. The actual position is that the Lord can measure it, but the happiness in the Lord is also identical with the Lord on account of absolute knowledge. So the happiness derived from the Lord may be measured by the Lord, but the happiness increases again, and the Lord measures it again, and then again the happiness increases more and more, and the Lord measures it more and more, And as such, there is eternally a competition between increment and measurement. So much so so that the competition is never stopped, but 
goes on unlimitedly ad infinitum. Spiritual happiness is anandam bhutivardhanam, or the ocean of happiness which increases. The material ocean is stagnant, but the spiritual ocean is dynamic. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Kaviraj Goswami has very nicely described this dynamic increment of the ocean as of spiritual happiness in the transcendental person of Srimati Radharani, the pleasure potency of Lord Krishna. These are very um, thick purports. So let's just see if you want to give any reflections back so we can churn the purport a little more. Anything you heard? Yes. Yes, uh, it's mentioned here that God cannot measure his own greatness, but then that's qualified by saying that, because somebody might then claim, well, then God is imperfect somehow. He can't measure his own, his own uh, greatness. So how is he uh, omnipotent and omniscient? So then Prabhupada says that he does measure his own greatness, but then it increases, so he measures it again. And that process goes on continually. Yes. Maharaj, I, I wanted uh, a little bit more elaboration on the last uh, sentence. Uh, Kaviraj Goswami has very nicely described this dynamic increment of the ocean of spiritual happiness in the transcendental person of Srimati Radharani, the pleasure potent of Lord Krishna. I don't really understand that. Yeah. So um, the personification of spiritual happiness, the Hladini Shakti is Srimati Radharani. So this is explained in the beginning of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Anarpita charim chirat karuna yavatirna kalau samarpayutum unatojwala rasam sabakti shriyam hari purata sundara dyuti kadamba sandipitaha sadahare akandare spuratuvasri sachinandana. So Krishna uh, had thought for a long time, or forever, I haven't actually taught the people of the world uh, the uh, natural friendly love that goes on in Goloka Vrindavan. Anarpita charim Therefore, in the age of Kali he, decide, Kali, he decides to come at the same juncture as the Yuga Avatar comes. And uh, normally the Yuga Avatar is an uh, empowered jiva who comes to teach the Yuga Dharma Sankirtan. But uh, this time Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes, he's Krishna and Radharani himself. Uh, so uh, there's a, an, an apparent external reason he comes to spread the, the Yuga Dharma. But then, uh, as explained by Kaviraj Goswami, the, the reason that he comes Shri Radhaya Pranaya Mahima Kidrishova Mariya Saukyam Chasya Mad Anu Saukyam Chasya Mad Anu excuse me. He he mentions that there are three reasons that um, Krishna wants to come as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Shri Radhaya Pranaya Mahima Kidrishovanayaiva. So Mahima means very great. And the Saukyam, the happiness of Srimati Radharani is very great. So great that uh, uh, Krishna has a hard time understanding it because he's the object of, of love. 
in other words, Srimati Radharani is drinking in the beauty of Krishna and um, she's ex her happiness is mahima, it's extremely great. Saukyam chasya anubhavita kidrisho madiyaha. And he wants to know the sweetness of, of her love and uh, the wonderment of it. So we have this uh, competition that's described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that uh, Srimati Radharani is desirous of seeing uh, Krishna happy. That's her only desire. And when she does that, then she becomes happy. And ha her happiness is 10 million times more than Krishna's. And so Krishna desires to taste that love because he's the supreme enjoyer and he can't uh, taste his own sweetness because he's the object. So that's why he comes as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to taste that. So in this, in this um, last sentence, Prabhupada's referring to the personification of happiness, which is Srimati Radharani, and the competition that goes on between a Krishna and, and Sri Radharani eternally. So, um, Radha and Krishna exist simultaneously. Uh, th they are uh, the eternal couple, and Shaitanya Mahaprabhu also is, exists eternally. And if you go deeply within the pastimes of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you'll find Radha and Krishna. And if you go deeply within the pastimes of Radha and Krishna, you'll find Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's like a reversible jacket. Uh, you just turn it around and it's, uh, it works on both sides. Either way, they're inseparable. But the reason they're inseparable is because of this uh, eternal endeavor to... Uh, it's a, like a, it's a, described in the Chaitanya Charnam as a competition between the two transcendentalists, uh, Srimati Radharani and Sri Krishna. Thank you, uh, You're welcome. Shiradhaya Mahima Kidusho Vanayayava Swadyo Yena Bhuta Madurima Yad Mad Anubhavan. Yes. Thank you so much, Maharaj. Question that Kalavati asked has raised another question from what you were explaining that when you are saying that there is competition between when we go deeper into Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes, we see Radha and Krishna, and there is competition. So, is this because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was one personality, Moon was Radharani, but he was Krishna himself? So is it the competition between the mood when we talk about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that sometimes he's in the mood of Radharani and sometimes he's experiencing as Krishna the love of Radharani? So is, is, it, is the competition, when we talk about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is the competition between the moods? Yeah. Yeah, the moods, moods also known as the, you know, the bhava, the feeling of them. Radha Krishna Pranaya Vikritir Ladini Shakti Rasmad Ekat Manam Api Bhuvi Buddha Beda Bedam Gatau Tau Chetan Yakyam Prakatamadana Tadvayam Chaikyam Aptam Radha Bhava Duty Sabalitam Naomi Krishna Sarupam. That 
that verse in the Mangala Charna of the Chaitanya Charitamrita describes this um, phenomenon of uh, Lord Chaitanya, who is Radha and Krishna combined, uh, emerging to enjoy the sweetness of uh, Srimati Radharani's love. And yes, there's, we notice, like in the pastimes at Ratha between Lord Jagannath and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is playing the part of Srimati Radharani there. And they're competing there also because Jagannath stops. He won't go ahead until Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is there. So it indicates that how attached Krishna is to Srimati Radharani. I like the point where we talked about the work before, uh, where Srila Prabhupada is saying that as a child listens to the father, then should take good advice from the father. They should take good advice from Brahmaji, who is the father of father, of how we have to surrender to Krishna. I think this is so nice. Prabhupada uh, is explaining it in a very nice way because uh, we all want to think independently with our own mind. We think we know it all, and uh, taking advice these days is very rare. I mean, people just do what they think, and, and I think this, this really makes a good point. That especially when you go out for preaching, you can use those those lines. Yeah, you could try. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it reminded me that how Krishna says in the beginning of the first, cha- uh, first verse of the seventh chapter, Maya sakta mana parta yogam yunjan marashraya asam shayam samagramam yata gyasasi tashtinu. Just listen to me with your mind fully attached to my instructions and you'll come to know everything. And it's a, it's a simple process that if we become attached to hearing from the authorized uh, scriptures like Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita, Nectar Devotion, Sri Shapanishad, Upadeshamrita, then it's naturally the knowledge will awaken within us if we listen submissively. It's all that's required actually uh, uh, in due course of time. And not only that, we become purified. Srinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Hridyan Takstohibadrani Vidunotsi Suritsatam. Krishna helps us to vanquish our lower nature and our attachment to matter just by that process. And you're absolutely right. It's The material world is full of speculators. And um, Prabhupada mentions uh, numerous times that the qualification of a guru is not that he or she comes up with some kind of in, innovation. And uh, like he describes how munis, a muni is one who speculates and comes up with a different philosophy than another. And there's always somebody else that comes along and has a better philosophy logically and can defeat the other one. But the actual standard is that we learn exactly what Krishna says and we follow it in, and that's what we present. It has to be backed up by the Shastra, the authority. Then our lives become... Um, infallible because we're following the infallible even though uh, I'm imperfect if I'm following the perfect and probably gives other examples of the father and the son he says that uh, the son doesn't know what a microphone is 
but asks the father, what is this? And the father said, it's a microphone. So then the child tells others, this is a microphone, and has it right, because the child got it from the authority, who knows, and he's representing it. So in the same way, uh, like children, we don't, can't understand the, the length and breadth of the universe, uh, nor the intricacies of matter even, what to speak of the spiritual world. However, if we listen attentively and we hear from the authorized scriptures then and the parampara, then we represent it, then our presentation is perfect and it will have an effect on others. Okay, these are great purports. Let's keep going. Welcome, everybody. Hare Krishna. Okay, this is verse number 37. Brahma still speaking. Since neither Lord Shiva nor you nor I could ascertain the limits of spiritual happiness, how can other demigods know it? And because all of us are bewildered by the illusory external energy of the Supreme Lord, we can see only this manifested cosmos according to our individual ability. We have many times mentioned the names of 12 selected authorities, Dvadasha Mahajana, of which Brahma, Narada, and Lord Shiva head the list as the first, second, and third in order of merit of those who know something of the Supreme Lord. Other demigods, semi-demigods, Gandharvas, Charnas, Vidyadharas, human beings, or Asuras, cannot possibly fully know fully about the potencies of the Absolute Sri Krishna. The demigods, semi-demigods, Gandharvas, etc., are all highly intelligent persons in the upper planets. The human beings are inhabitants of the intermediate planets, and the Asuras are inhabitants of the lower planets. All of them have their respective conceptions and estimations of the Absolute Truth, as does the scientist or the empiric philosopher in human society. All such living entities are creatures of the material nature, and consequently they are bewildered by the wonderful display of the three modes of material nature. Such entities, mm, such bewilderment is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. I think that uh, if it says samam idam jagat, that, that's a mistake. Because the verse says, Somebody can look up in the Gita. Anyway, it's probably... Sarvam idam jagat? Yeah, this, it's a mistake. Every entity, beginning from Brahma down to the ant, is individually bewildered by the three modes of material nature, namely goodness, passion, and ignorance. Everyone thinks in terms of individual capacity that this universe, which is manifested before us, is all in all. And so the scientist in the human society of the 20th century calculates the beginning and end of the universe in his own way. But what can the scientist know? Even Brahma himself was once bewildered, thinking himself the only one Brahma favored by the Lord. But later on, by the grace of the Lord, he came to know that there are innumerable more powerful Brahmas as well, in far bigger universes beyond this universe. And all of these universes combined together form a kapad vibhuti, or one-fourth of the manifestation of the Lord's creative energy. 
The other three fourths of his energy are displayed in the spiritual world. And so what can the tiny scientist with a tiny brain know of the absolute personality of God and Lord Krishna? The Lord says, therefore, Mohitam Nabijanati Mam Abhya Paramavyayam. Bewildered by such modes of material nature, they cannot understand that beyond these manifestations is the Supreme Person who is the absolute controller of everything. Brahma, Narada, and Lord Shiva know about the Lord to a considerable extent, and therefore one should follow the instructions of these great personalities instead of being satisfied with a tiny brain and its playful discoveries such as spacecraft and similar products of science. As the mother is the only authority to identify the father of a child, so the mother Vedas, presented by the recognized authority such as Brahma, Narada, and Shiva, is the only authority to inform us about the Absolute Truth. So this continues the same topic about how we get knowledge and this is an important aspect of any philosophical system is the epistemology research department please look up epistemology epistemology means how we know what we know and uh, we have the tattva sandarbha which, uh, in which Jiva Goswami goes into great details about the, the primary way in which we can have knowledge. First of all, in any uh, knowledge discipline, you have to have a given. You can't start without a given because you get infinite regress without it. Yes? It, it means the theory of knowledge... Um, it means the theory of knowledge, especially with regards to its method, validity and scope, and the distinction between justified belief and opinion. Yeah, justified belief and opinion. So, uh, as um, Aristotle points out, back um, to Aristotle, he says that uh, unless you have some knowledge that's self-effulgent, in, in other words, it proves itself. And then you can't uh, continue in a knowledge system without what, you, what he calls infinite regress. And an example is, um, if I say, um, prove that water boils at a certain temperature, and then you bring a thermometer and you put it in the water, and when it gets to 200 degrees, you see it boiling. So then I say, prove that's a real thermometer. So then you bring a thermometer testing kit, whatever that might be, and you test it, and then I say, prove that's a real thermometer testing kit. The point is, you can infinitely go back and question everything. But he says, and so does Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that there, there are some things that prove themselves. For instance, you can't prove that you exist. But you do, and you know you do. That's why Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. I'm aware of my existence. I'm, I sense that I'm alive, that I'm not just a brain in a petri dish somewhere, and uh, that I'm experiencing the world. There's a, there's a um, fallacious philosophy called solipsism, which mentions that uh, we're actually just imagining the world. 
But that's not our experience. When you wake up in the morning, you have a clear understanding that you're more aware uh, that you're alive and that you exist than you are when you're sleeping. It's just self-evident. So uh, the Shastras are the given in the uh, process of, of uh, devotional service. Uh, they're self-effulgent. They prove themselves. That's why when we're talking about philosophy, right, Yash, we say that, uh, and somebody makes a statement, you say, prove it. So what's the proof? You have to, yes. Yeah. So if you make a, a point, you have to prove, where is it uh, in the Shastra? Where is it proven? So this is uh, an important point because otherwise, left to our own speculation, if we do research into the universe, we'll never come to the end of it. In fact, a physicist told me that uh, you could, as a physicist, spend 20 years looking at one small particle and although you could describe it in many ways, after 20 years of studying it intensely, you won't have a better idea of how, where the universe comes from. Or even about that particle. It, it's in such isolation that you're looking at it that uh, it doesn't give you expansive knowledge about anything. You're still where you were before. So we require information that comes from, out the, uh, from outside the closed system of this universe and of our minds. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told Sanatana Goswami, Maya Mugda Jivara Nahi Swata Krishna Gyan, Jivara Krishna Koila Krishna Veda Puran. Kripaya, uh, he said, uh, it's the mercy uh, upon the Jiva that uh, Srila Vyasadev um, imported the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam from the spiritual world. Tadvagvi sargo janataga viplavo yasmin prati shlokam abadyavatyapis. Narada Muni confirms that the Bhagavatam doesn't come from this world, it's a different creation. It's from outside the closed system of the material universe. And uh, it's not automatic that anybody can come out of uh, the entrancement. From, uh, from the material nature. That's why he said maya mugda, which means being in, uh, entranced by maya. Jivaranahi, the soul doesn't, swata krishna gyan, doesn't automatically uh, come to realization. There has to be an intervention from an outside source. So then he says Vyasadeva has made that intervention through the Shastra. He brings it uh, from the spiritual world. It's, it's an eternal literature and when it's introduced into the life of, of the jiva, then the jiva can awaken. That's why it says, Tadvagvisargo janataga viplabo. Viplabo is kind of a sense that this, the idea of me being a material entity is uh, flipped. Like if you're in a boat and it flips over to the other side, viplabo. And so um, then we can come to knowledge. So the, the shastras are self-effulgent. Um, Mahaprabhu said they prove themselves and uh, they are the given aspect. And Prabhupada talks about this last point I'll make in the Sri Shapanishad that 
The Vedas, for example, say that the bone of an animal or the stool of an animal is impure, and if you touch it, you have to take a bath. But then conch shell is considered pure, and so, uh, so is cow dung. So Prabhupada said, okay, you can study cow dung. It has antiseptic properties if you want to study it. But you can also just uh, take the, take the uh, Vedic um, pronouncements as being true, and you'll save a lot of time because you can't go back and research everything, even in material science. Uh, you have to accept dogma to some point. What, look up dogma, please. That means that you're accepting the research that other people have done before you. Like when we go to school and they give, you, give us a textbook, we don't say, I want verification of every one of these experiments. You just accept them. You don't have time. Yes, sir. Um, dogma. Dogma. The principle or set of principles laid down by majority as inconvertibly true. Read it one more time out loud, please. A principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. So that kind of meets the standard of what I'm talking about, right? But you get in postmodernism in this day and age where people dissect everything and they say, well, there's no meaning to anything. My truth, your truth, it's all just relative. And this is... Um, a bane on human society because th this means that uh, anything goes and there is no absolute. And so people get into any number of infinite regresses because of that uh, and they have no standing and they have to continually uh, reconstruct everything in their minds because uh, nothing has any real substance ultimately. But it does. There is an ultimate substance. <laughs> okay, any reflections? There's a question. A question, okay, please, from online. From uh, Zurabi Sharma. Pranam, so on the topic of proofs, is Shastra the only basis of proof about existence of the soul as a tiny spark, except the Shastra is it? No. Krishna says in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Shruti Pratyaksham Aniyam. Uh, anumanam chatushpadam. Then he says, um, vikalpatsavirajite. That's the, um, you can look this verse up. It starts, shruti pratyaksham aniyam, aitiyam. Shruti pratyaksham aitiyam, anumanam. So he names four, and he says, you can take these four as, as uh, evidence that the material world is unstable. He said, see for yourself. So first thing is Shruti. You can hear it in the Shastra. And then Pratyaksha, you can see it for yourself. <laughs> Verify, just look around. Most people ignore what they see. For instance, people drop dead all the time. And then, then I think, well, I'll probably live forever. Or at least for 10 million years. It's way off in the future for me. But it can happen to anybody at any time. And then he says, uh, Aitiyam, that's traditional wisdom that's passed down. And then Anuman means logic. My father died, my father's father died, and so forth. So uh, he says, use these to understand that the material world is a temporary place and to understand other uh, phenomena of the material world. 
these four combined. One sec. And then uh, from that, vikal patsavirajite, you should become detached from the material world. Yes, please, go ahead. So, 11.19.17. Yes. From the four types of evidence. Don't read the Sanskrit, please. Shruti pratyakshama atihiyam anumanam chatushtayam pranavesh anavasthanad vikalpatsavirajite. From the four types of evidence, Vedic knowledge, direct experience, traditional wisdom, and logical induction. One can understand the temporary, insubstantial situation of the material world, by which one becomes detached from the duality of this world. So it's an example of pratyaksha for the soul, because Surabhi Prabhu asked such a nice question. Uh, Prabhupada, in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, uh, gives a meditation. It's a guided meditation in his purport, where he shows us how we can become aware of our own consciousness. And we can also discern for ourselves directly how we're different from the body. You can experience how the consciousness is spread throughout the body and you can observe through uh, not only direct perception but also logic. For instance, the logic he gives in that purport is that we don't say I hand, we say my hand because it's a, a thing of possession. It's something I possess. It's not me. And so I distinguish between those. So there he's, uh, he's described how you can see your own consciousness for yourself. Then you can logically understand how we interact with it and how we're the conscious soul and we're different from the material body, for instance. And then, of course, from the Shastra, Kesha gra shatabhagasya sharam shadrishatmakaha jiva sukshmo swarupyo yang sankhyatito hikchitkana. This is a verse from the uh, Upanishads that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu quoted to describe to Sanatana Goswami what is the soul. He said it's chitkana, it's a particle of consciousness, and that it's one ten thousand size of the tip of a hair. So it's tiny, tiny, and it's a little particle and you can experience it for yourself, and you can see how you're different from your body, uh, and logically understand it. And Aitiyam, uh, the, the knowledge that's been passed down over many generations, also describes the existence of a soul. So, yeah, there are other ways besides just the Shastra. You can see it for yourself, and you should. Anything else? Thanks, Surabhi. Prabhu. Yes, Prabhu. Prabhupada mentions in the purport that uh, Brahma, Narada, and Lord Shiva had the list as the first, second, and the third in the order of merit. So does it mean that the other Mahajans uh, who are mentioned uh, are also then on the merit list? One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> Apparently. That's how Prabhupada presents. Swayambura Narada Shambhu Komara Kapilo Manu Pralado Janako Bhishmo Balirvaya Sakirvayam. That's the list, nine. So you got Swayambhu, which means the self born, that's Brahma. Swayambhu Narada, Narada, and then Shambhu. And of course, we depend a lot on Brahma. We're in the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. And Narada is, uh, we have the Narada Pancharatra. That's how we follow all our deity worship from there. And Shiva is. Uh, is um, 
considered to Vaishnavanam Yatashambhu, Bhagavatam says. He's the best Vaishnav. <laughs> he even embodies the, the mood of, of the best Vaishnav. Tapyante Lukatapena Sarva Prayasojana Parama Aradhanam Taddi Purushasyakilatmana. Shukadeva Goswami describes Shiva uh, after he drank the ocean of poison. He said that uh, this is indicative of the greatest Vaishnavas, that they take uh, some trouble upon themselves because of their compassion uh, for others suffering in the material world. And he says, Parama Aradhanam, that's the best kind of worship. When you, when you take compassion on others and you try to do good for them by spreading Krishna consciousness as an example, that's called the Parama Aradhanam, the best kind of worship that you can do. Anyway, I noticed that also, and I never, never really heard, noticed that before or heard, heard that before, that it's hierarchy. <laughs> One of the great treats of carefully reading Prabhupada's books over and over again is you see so many of these little things. Okay, I'll, I'll read the next purport. You good? Yes, please. Um, I like the point where you said about, like, either, like, for, for example, the cow dung, either we could just, like, study ourselves, or we can just listen to what the Shastra tells us. Or, like, another example, like, we can, like, either someone can tell us that do not touch the fire, or we could just, like, touch the fire and then see where that came Yeah, that's true. It probably gives us an example for wayward souls. He says, you know, Sorry, what, what, what wayward? wayward. Yeah, wayward means you know, gone away from the norm. And uh, Prabhupada tells how his son, one of his sons, was rambunctious. And one day when he was at home, that is, Prabhupada was at home with a friend of his, and then his little son kept trying to climb up on the table and touch the fan that was going, and he wouldn't stop uh, trying. So Prabhupada's friend recommended slow the fan down and then let him touch it. <laughs> and so he, he did, and the boy was startled and he didn't want to touch it anymore. So Prabhupada gives us as an example that there's a, a way in which Krishna offers the material world for those who are ram, souls who are rambunctious, and they want to misuse their independence and say, no, let me touch it. So, all right, you can try, uh, but I know, he doesn't recommend it. Okay, next verse. Nice points, everybody. 38. Let us offer our respectful obeisances unto that Supreme Personality of Godhead, whose incarnations and activities are chanted by us for glorification though he can hardly be fully known as he is. It is said that the transcendental name, form, quality, pastimes, paraphernalia, personality, etc. cannot possibly be perceived by the gross materialistic senses. But when the senses are purified by the process of hearing, chanting, remembering, and worshipping the lotus feet of the holy deity, etc., the Lord reveals himself proportionately to the advancement of the quality of devotional service. One should not expect the Lord to, to be an order-supplying agent who must be present before us as soon as we desire to see him. We must be ready to undergo the prescribed devotional duties following the path 
shown by the predecessors in the disciplic succession from Brahma, Narada, and similar authorities. As the senses are progressively purified by bona fide devotional service, the Lord reveals his identity according to the spiritual advancement of the devotee. But one who is not in the line of devotional service can hardly perceive him simply by calculations and philosophical speculations. Such a hard worker can present a jugglery of words before an audience, but he can never know the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his personal feature. The Lord has clearly stated in Bhagavad Gita that one can know him only by devotional service. No one can know the Lord by any puffed up material process of challenge, but the humble devotee can please the Lord by his earnest devotional activities. Thus the Lord reveals himself proportionately before the devotee. Lord Brahma therefore offers his respectful obeisances as a bona fide spiritual master and advises us to follow the process of shravana and kirtana. Simply by this process or simply by hearing and chanting the glories of the activities of the Lord's incarnation, one can certainly see within himself the identity of the Lord. We have already discussed this subject in Volume 1 of Srimad Bhagavatam in connection with the verse, Tashchadadhanamunayo jnana vairagya yuktaya pashantyatmani chatmanam bhaktya shruta grihitaya. The conclusion is that one should, cannot know the Supreme Personality of it fully by any method, but he should be seen and felt partially by the devotional service by devotional service process, by the devotional service process of hearing, chanting, etc. So, this verse, Tachchadadhana Munayo, he quotes at the end, Tachchadadhana Munayo, Jnana Vairagya Yuktaya, Pashyantyatmani Chatmanam, Bhaktya Shuta Grihitaya, means that the um, student in Bhakti Yoga should be fortified. Uh, by hearing from the Shruti. You have to hear in order to be fortified. And you also have to be fortified by Jnana and Vairagya. So fortunately, it's, it's inherent in the process. That is, it's a concomitant that when you take to the direct process of hearing and chanting, you naturally get Jnana and Vairagya. So that's mentioned also in the first canto, second chapter of the Bhagavatam. Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janayashuvairagyam Jnanam Chayarahaitukam. When you do devotional service, the concomitant feature is that you get knowledge and detachment. Or from Srimad Bhagavatam elsewhere, is mentioned Bhakti by the Navi Yogendras, Kavi Havi, by Havi Yogendra. Bhakti Parushanu Bhavi Virakti Ranyata Traishatrika Ekakala Prapadya Manasya Yatashnatashus Tushti Pushti Shud Apayanu Nugasam. And he gives this example that when you're hungry, sorry to bring it up on Akadashi, and you eat food, that you naturally get three benefits. One is that you feel satisfied, nourished, and your hunger goes away with every bite. And that's compared to Bhakti. Bhakti parushanu bhavu viraktir anyata traisha trika ekakala. Traisha means you get three things naturally when you do a direct process of bhakti. So the first thing is bhakti. You get a sense of devotion to the Lord. Anubhav means you see it for yourself. 
It's not a mystery. It's not philosophical or uh, theological uh, or, or just uh, theory, but actually it's uh, direct perception. As Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, pratyakshavagamam dharmyam. You see it for yourself, anubhav. And third, perhaps most importantly, as a, a verification of one's advancement in devotional service is you get virakti. Virakti means that you get a natural sense of detachment for anything that's not related to Krishna. It's not like you're trying to detach yourself from it. You just don't like it anymore. <laughs> and that's compared to when you eat. And you know, even if it's the best food on the planet, and someone says, take more, and you go like, no thanks, I'm not hungry. I don't want any more. I couldn't eat it if you gave it to me. So that's how the devotees feel. And so the verse, Tachchradhanamunayo Jnana Vairagya Yuktaya, means that uh, you have to be fortified and also you have to be thoughtful. A, a devotee has to be thoughtful and consider uh, what is the goal of life. You also have to respect the doubting process. As Kapiladev says, doubting is part of the intelligence. And you should use your doubts to triangulate to come to Siddhanta. Siddhanta means uh, a very exacting understanding of what things are and what they aren't. We're not in the postmodern realm here where anything goes, but there is an absolute truth and there is a way to understand it. And when you come to that clear understanding, you've got Siddhanta. So to that end, you'll f we find that, for instance, in the Vedanta Sutra, the Srila Vyasadeva, when he presents a truth in the form of a sutra, which is uh, summarizing all of the Upanishads, uh, then he'll also give a, a Purvapaksha, which means he'll give the argument against his own presentation, and then he'll defeat his own argument. This is because the nature of the mind is to find exceptions and uh, through reading Shastra, our mind has to become so uh, convinced uh, that we will invest our full hearts in the process. Krishna says in the, in the end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, evam param budva samstabhyatmanamatmanam jahishatram mahabaho kamarupam durasaram to, to rise above one's inordinate attachment to the material world, first one must use one's intelligence. Your intelligence must become fortified. And then, uh, naturally, uh, as one gives oneself to devotional service, then the heart becomes involved. And this is called firm faith. Shraddha shabde vishras kahe surida nishchoy krishne bhakti koile sarva karma kritahoy. This means shraddha, which we translate as faith sometimes. It's shrad means the heart, and da is an active verb. It means where you place something. So. Where are you, what are you putting your heart into now? You could ask yourself. So, Shraddha Shabde Vishras Kahe Choi means Krishna Bhakti Koila Sarva Karma Kritahoi. When a person is more and more convinced about Krishna being the Supreme Personality of Godhead and me being his servant, and that everything else uh, is done, all my other karmas that I'm supposed to take care of, they're all done when I do bhakti. It's perfect and it's direct and it's watering the root. That's called firm faith. And Kaviraj Goswami says, when you have that firm faith from hearing, then you get this sense of being dhridavrata, of extremely fixed in your vow. Because uh, 
your heart's in it. That's really important. Any other comments or a question? Feel free to write in online. All of those of you on Facebook. Okay, I'm reading the next verse. This, that supreme original personality of Godhead, Lord Sri Krishna, expanding his plenary portion as Mahavishnu, the first incarnation, creates this manifested cosmos. But he is unborn. The creation, however, takes place in him, and the material substance and manifestations are all himself. He maintains them for some time and absorbs them into himself again. Purport. The creation is non-different from the Lord and still is not in the creation. And still he is not in the creation. This is explained in the Bhagavad Gita 9.4 as follows. Mayatatam idam sarvam. Would you all like to say it? Mayatatam idam sarvam jagadavyakta murtina mastani sarvabhutani nachaham teshvavastita. The impersonal conception of the Absolute Truth is also a form of the Lord called Avyakta Murti. Isn't that amazing? The impersonal conception of the Absolute Truth is also a form of the Lord called Avyakta Murti. In fact, in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita, you know, when Gopu Kumar goes to the, uh, the realm of the impersonal, so-called impersonal Brahman, then the author notes that actually even in impersonal Brahman, there's some sense of form and that there's some sense of the living entity doing service. So he says, the living entities who merge into that, they sparkle and therefore glorify that, that form of impersonality, so-called impersonality of the Lord. You can't get away from it. Avyaktamurti. Sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? Avyakta Murti. Murti means form, but because his impersonal feature is inexplicable to our limited sentence, sense, senses, he is the Avyakta Murti form. And in that inexplicable form of the Lord, the whole creation is resting. Or, in other words, the whole creation is the Lord himself, and the creation is also non-different from him. But simultaneously, he, as the original personality of Godhead Sri Krishna, is aloof from the created manifestation. The impersonalist gives stress to the impersonal form or feature of the Lord and does not believe in the original personality of the Lord. But the Vaishnavas accept the original form of the Lord of whom the impersonal form is merely one of the features. Everyone, everyone okay? Following? The impersonal and personal conceptions of the Lord are existing simultaneously. And this fact is clearly described both in the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam, and also in other Vedic scriptures. Inconceivable to human intelligence, the idea must simply be accepted on the authority of the scriptures, and it can only be practically realized by the progress of devotional service unto the Lord, and never by mental speculation or inductive logic. The impersonalists depend more or less on inductive logic. And therefore, 
They always remain in darkness about the original personality of Godhead Sri Krishna. Their conception of Krishna is not clear, although everything is clearly mentioned in all the Vedic scriptures. A poor, that's an important sentence because, uh, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead a man to wisdom, but you can't make him think. And we don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. Krishna points this out in the 17th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita that our vision is filtered through the modes of nature that we've acquired. And therefore, we have different ways of perceiving the world. The word perceive comes from Latin, and it has to do with what we pick up from our environment. Everyone picks up something different according to the way he or she is uh, mentally um, situated. And that's because of the three modes of material nature. However, when one becomes purified by the process of devotional service, one's vision becomes clear, as indicated by Brahma. He says, Premanjana churita bhakti vilochanena santak sadeva radeshu vilokayanti yam shama sundaram achinta gunasurupam govindamari purushamta mahambajami. That when we are purified by love of God, that there's a, a way in which because uh, the, the chitta or the consciousness becomes purified, chitta dharpana marginam, then Krishna naturally appears there. I can, I can prove that a little further. Uh, in the Bhagavatam, it is said, sattvam vishudham vasudeva shabditam yad iyate tatra imam apavrata. And that is uh, Lord Shiva says that because he's in shuddha-sattva, that means there's no contamination on the, con on the consciousness anymore. Therefore, at that stage, he always sees the Supreme Personality of Godhead very clearly uh, reflected there on the surface of the mind. You see directly for yourself. Otherwise, we can't, we can't see him. Guys, you're drawing a picture of Lord Shiva. Uh, I know it's some, tran some transcendental thing you're drawing. Um, I'll try to be more entertaining. I'll tell more jokes too. Shall I? Okay. The impersonalist gives stress to the impersonal form or feature of the Lord and does not believe in the original personality of the Lord. But the Vaishnavas accept the original form of the Lord, of whom the impersonal form is merely one of the features. Did I miss anything? They start on the right line. The impersonal and personal conceptions of the Lord are existing simultaneously. Quiz. Are the impersonal and personal forms of the Lord existing simultaneously? Yes. 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 Yes and also in other Vedic scriptures. Inconceivable to human intelligence, the idea must simply be accepted on the authority of the scriptures 
and it can only be practically realized by the progress of devotional service unto the Lord and never by mental speculation or inductive logic. The impersonalists depend more or less on inductive logic and therefore they always remain in the, in the darkness, in darkness about the original personality of God in Sri Krishna. Their conception of Krishna is not clear, although everything is clearly mentioned in all Vedic scriptures. A poor fund of knowledge cannot comprehend the existence of an original personal form of the Lord when he has expanded in everything. This imperfectness is due more or less to the material conception that a substance distributed widely in parts can no longer exist in the original whole. What is the verse that um, defeats that conception? That if the absolute truth expands himself, that he must now be fragmented or incomplete. I'll give you a, a clue. It's a verse every one of you know, and it starts off, yes, go ahead. Correct. You want to say the verse? Very good, sir. Very good. Sadhu, sadhu. Say the verse. Bravo. See, you can win stuff in this. You just won, a, won 10 points for you. That's a very good citation, and it's very important. All forms of incompleteness are due to incomplete knowledge of the complete whole. And this verse proves, Om Purnam, Adak Purnam Idam, Purnat Purnam Udachate. No matter how many complete units, and that's what emanates from the complete whole, emanate from him, he remains complete. So the idea that you, my friend Denny Scardacci in, in um, kindergarten, Denny Scardacci was a rascal. He used to tell me all kinds of fa false knowledge. And for a long time I believed him until my father straightened me out. One of them was that if you have a packet of potato chips, if you smash them up, it makes more of them. <laughs> I was like, duh. <laughs> no, it didn't sound right. No, it's true. But the absolute truth is like, he keeps expanding, but he does, he's never diminished uh, as, as the supreme absolute truth. And uh, as, a, as the impersonalists talk about how the Lord's expanded, it's like a piece of paper. You tear it up and throw the pieces, and then the, the paper is diminished. But it's, spiritual math is different. One plus one is one, and one minus one is one. It's always one. Advaya Gyan Tattva. It's one thing, always, eternally, never diminished, no matter how many times it, he expands himself. Thanks for playing. Stay on your toes. I got more for you. Okay. The original personality of Godhead, Adaya Govinda, expands himself as the Mahavishnu incarnation and rests in the causal ocean. So, how many of the Vishnus are mentioned? Which three main Vishnus are mentioned? For, for another ten points. Yes, the. Gentleman in the front row with the yellow shirt. Okay, try it again. Go from Mahavishnu. 
Correct. Yeah, very good. Maybe that's what you said in reverse order. Uh, but excellent. Another 10 points. So these Vishnus are beyond the three modes of material nature, but they interact with the material nature to some degree by glancing. And then, obviously, after Mahavishnu glances at the material energy, then the material energy is impregnated with the living entities and time and karma. And then uh, Garbhadakshai Vishnu enters within each individual universe and fills it up with uh, water from his own perspiration. And then from the, the navel of uh, Garbhadakshai Vishnu is born Brahma. And then Shirdakshai Vishnu expands into every atom. Andantarasta paramanu chayantarastam. And so Krishna is personally present everywhere in the heart of every living being and also within every particle of the universe. There's nowhere where he isn't. So does that mean that you're sitting on Krishna now? Are you? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> He's everywhere. It's within everything. The devotees walk softly on the earth. They're careful. In fact, one of the panchratric systems, waking up in the morning, first thing you do is you say the mantras. Like Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Shivasari Gaur Bhaktivinoda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Then you turn on CNN to see how the cricket match went, right? Yes? No. No, then you say, Jayati uh, David, you say a verse from Jayati Janandivasu Devaki Janmabharu Yadu Vada Parishat Swar Dovira Sanadharma. Is that what you say when you wake up? Really? Good for you. It's a beautiful verse that describes the many different aspects of Krishna. So the point is, when you first open your eyes, you should be Krishna conscious. Then the next thing is you say, Oh, Mother Bhumi, please forgive me for stepping on your surface. And you swing out of bed and touch your left foot to the floor. Then you can get down and offer obeisances to your spiritual master. And then you're ready to start doing other devotional things. But I thought of that because the devotees are always uh, aware that wherever they step, there's uh, a personality that's emanated from the Lord, a servant of the Lord, or the Supreme Personality God in himself is present. That's what it means to be Krishna conscious. Okay, I'm going to finish this purport and then take a few more reflections, okay? Good? Yes. You're at 20 points. You're sitting pretty well. But I think Yasha is getting ready to, ready to um, rally. He's going to rally. The original personality got it, Adya. Yet karanarna vajale bhajtisma yoga nidram ananta jagadanda saroma kupaha adhara shaktim avalambya param samurtim govinda mari purusham tamahamajami Lord Brahmaji says in his Brahma Sanghita, I worship the primeval Lord Govinda who lies down in the causal ocean in his plenary portion as Mahavishnu with all the universes generating from the pores of hair of his transcendental body and who accepts the mystic slumber of eternity. 
So this Mahavishnu is the first incarnation in the creation and from him all the universes are generated and all material manifestations are produced, one after another. The causal ocean is created by the Lord as the Mahatattva, as a cloud in the spiritual sky and is only a part of his different manifestations. The spiritual sky is an expansion of his personal rays and he is the Mahatattva cloud also. He lies down and generates the universe by his breathing and again by entering into each universe as Garbhadakshay Vishnu, he creates Brahma, Shiva and many other demigods for maintenance of the universe and again absorbs the whole thing into his person as confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 9.7. Sarva Bhutani Kaunteya Prakritim Yanti Mahamikam Kalpakshay Punastani Kalpado Visrajam Yaham when the kalpa or the duration of the life of Brahma is ended, then all the created manifestations enter into my prakriti or energy. And again, when I desire, the same creation takes place by my personal energy. The conclusion is that these are all but displays of the Lord's inconceivable personal energies of which no one can have any full information. The point we have already Discussed this point we have already discussed. What did you hear? Hey, Yasha Rallies, go ahead. So that all of the universes come out of Mahavishnu's cause, and that his rays the spiritual sky, and he is the Mahatapa cloud. Yeah, all of the energies, material, spiritual, they all emanate from him. Solid 10 points. What else did anybody hear? Yes. Uh, Lord Vishnu sleeps in the causal ocean and he goes into eternal slumber. Yeah, why is he sleeping? Huh? Yes? Is it because when he wakes up then all of the universes will be destroyed? Well, yeah, but why does somebody sleep in the first place? Like half-closed eyes. Did you ever sleep with half-closed eyes? Yeah. Like this? Why would you do that? You were going to say? Um, you're half asleep, but you're half awake. Why? If you're in class, let's say you're in class somewhere, <laughs> and you're half asleep with half-closed eyes, why would you be in that state? Baba. Because you're bored. So what's so boring about the material world? Yes. There's not much activities to do. It's just you have to work and then come back home. Yeah, but as far as Mahavishnu is concerned, why is, why is he bored with the material world? Yes. Is it because not many people are like worshipping him? They're not, many, they're not like calling out to him. Yeah. What about in Vrindavan? Does he sleep there? Does Krishna sleep in Vrindavan? Not very much. If you look at Lord Jagannath, 
he's actually a Vrindavan deity because he's experiencing the ecstasy of the resonance of Vrindavan just by hearing about them. That's why his, Balaram, Subhadra's limbs are contracted, eyes are wide open, there's signs of ecstasy. And so why? Because when they hear about the prema of the devotees in Vrindavan, they experience these ecstatic symptoms. So eyes wide open, see the contrast here, eyes wide open, Jagannath, half closed, Ma Vishnu, you were going to say, you were going to say something, you had your hand up. Okay, Yash, go ahead, you get 10 more points and have a tie. Um, I was going to say that Krishna and Jesus from Melbourne more books, he has all these kind of friends to play with and they actually have faith in him. Unlike most people in the material world who don't really know that Krishna exists and they don't worship him. Okay, give me some verse and I'll give you the 10 points to confirm what you just said. Look it up. Nayam Sukapo Bhagavan. Oh, you got, you have called a friend. You have a lifeline. Go ahead. Are you looking this one up? Nayam Sukapo Bhagavan. This is a very important verse. Mahaprabhu quoted it several times in his teachings. Nayam Sukapo Bhagavan Dehinam Gopikasuta Gyaninam Chapmabhutanam Yata Bhakti Matan Iha. You got it already? Read it. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Rama, Rama Rama Hare Hare. Got it? Okay. Nayam Sukapo. Nayam Sukapo Bhagavan. Dehinam Gopika Sudaha. Yaninam Chakma Bhutanam. Yata Bhakti Matam. Translation, please. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, the son of Mother Yashoda, is accessible to devotees engaged in spontaneously, spontaneous love and service, but he is not as easily accessible to mental speculators, to those striving for self-realization by severe austerities and penances, or to those who consider the body of the same as self. Well done. Tie game. It's all tied up. Okay. Any... Other points, things that you remembered or that you want to augment before we, well, we're at the end of our reading? Yes. Uh, I haven't come across the terminology inductive logic before. I was just going to expand on that. Okay. Shri says, um, service is not accessible to those who um, mentally speculate or... Um, so, yeah, um, practically... Um, it can only be practically realized by the progress of devotional service unto the Lord and never by mental speculation or inductive logic. And it's the impersonalists who depend more or less on inductive logic. 
Give us the exact definition from Wikipedia. Go ahead. It's inductive reasoning or logic is a method of reasoning in which a body of observations is synthesized to come up with a general principle. Inductive um, inductive reasoning is di distinct from deductive reasoning. If the premises are correct, the conclusion of a de deductive argument is certain. In contrast, the truth of conclusion of an inductive argument is probable based upon the evidence given. So it's empiric. You're using your senses to try to come to understand the absolute truth. And uh, our process is through Shabda Pramana. We take evidence from the self-effulgent uh, infallible source. That's apaurusheya. It means it, it doesn't come from a human source, whereas inductive logic is from a human source because we're observing the phenomena in nature and then trying to come to a conclusion from there about the absolute truth or anything else for that matter. And therefore it always remains imperfect because the senses have at least four defects, which uh, preclude us from getting perfect knowledge from using them. However, this point about hearing from an authority, uh, this is Shabda, you hear from the authority who knows exactly what's going on, uh, who's an eyewitness, and then you get perfect knowledge. I don't know what the weather is in Chicago, but if I call my friend in Chicago right now and say, what's the weather like? He'll say, it's raining. Then I'll say, it's raining. How else would I know? So we get that clear information. Who else are you going to ask? besides your mother, who your real father is, because you weren't there. And she was. She's the only reliable witness. Well, hopefully reliable. Um, so that's the opposite. Shabda Pramana and inductive logic are at odds with one another. And, and mental speculation is using the mind and intelligence to speculate. Yeah, in, it, in general it's pejorative. It means that you're um, using your own power to try to understand something, speculating, uh, as opposed to hearing from authority and uh, submissively accepting it. For instance, you know, we accept the Srimad Bhagavatam as the ultimate authority on everything. Aradru Bhagavan Vrajesha Tanayasta Dhamma Vrindavana Ramya Kachirupasana Vraja Vidu Bargena Balkalpita Srimad Bhagavatam Pramanam Amalam, the Prema Pumarta Mahan. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave these uh, four basic truths, his teachings. Number one, Krishna and his Dham are non-different. Number two, the highest method of worshipping the Supreme Lord was uh, conducted by the gopis of Vrindavan, spontaneous love for Krishna. Number three, the ultimate and spotless evidence for all information and uh, knowledge about devotional service or anything else for that matter comes from the Srimad Bhagavatam. And number four, the ultimate goal of life is prema, developing love for Krishna. So we accept, uh, yes, the infallible source, the Shastra, especially Srimad Bhagavatam. Yes. that um, certain things are self-evident 
and we cannot keep questioning if we study it properly. Um, it is evident, like you gave the example of consciousness, that consciousness is evident, it is there in the body. When somebody leaves, there is consciousness is not there, so it is self-evident. Another point you mentioned was that we can doubt. By doubting, then we, when you gave the example of Muni, um, and you also said that, I think you gave example of Vyasadev, sorry, that he gives uh, sutras and then he questions that and then he answers. So he defeats his own um, comments by the doubts. And I think it's for the benefit of us that if any doubt is coming, it is defeated. And when we see the impersonalist, they go by inductive logic. They go by, probably also by mental speculators. There are mental speculators as well. So if I just see these things, how do we summarize this or how do we categorize the difference between a devotee who understands Siddhanta by doubting or who understands the philosophy because it is self-evident against an impersonalist who is coming to impersonalist conclusions because of his inductive, because of his tendency to get into inductive logic. So what's the difference between these two mentalities? Well, f first of all, in, doubting is a, uh, one of the functions of the intelligence. Kapila Dev mentions this in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's an important function because how will you distinguish uh, high from low and better quality from worse quality unless you doubt things and then you inquire about them. However, he points out that there's a major uh, category of coming to Siddhanta by using your doubting after which uh, you can then uh, give your heart, as I mentioned. First starts with the intelligence through doubting and once you've come to pinpoint accuracy and you've come to understand clearly about the siddhanta, like what something is when it isn't. Uh, you can understand, for instance, through sambandha jnana or knowledge of our relationship with Krishna. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna gives many uh, um, perfect arguments to convince us that, for instance, we're not part of the material world and that there are different categories of energy. and that there's um, a continuation of our existence even after we leave this body. And he gives many examples. For instance, he says, That these are commonsensical uh, examples to satisfy our intellect. So he says, you're already dying. Your body's gone through, is going through changes right now. The body you had 10 minutes ago isn't here. It's not the same. Just like, as he gives his example later in the Bhagavatam, similar, that if you, you can't step in the same river twice. You may call it the same river, but it's constantly in flux. How can you call it the same thing? These are logical arguments that Krishna gives to satisfy your intelligence. And so once one does come to the conclusion that there is an absolute truth and that it's uh, uh, I'm getting perfect knowledge from there, then one should uh, surrender the doubting process 
on the macro level. And that's what Brahma says. Because Brahma tested out Krishna. He said, this can't be. Here's this little boy in Vrindavan. He saw him. He was sitting with his friends and having a picnic, eating with his left hand. I mean, Brahma is called Vidhi. Vidhi means a person who practiced the Varnashram perfectly for a hundred lifetimes. That's You get to be Brahma. And, and so uh, Brahma sees this little boy playing around with his friends. Friends are putting food in his mouth, taking it back out, and then they eat it. They're sharing their lunches. They're you know, eating with his left hand. And then he says, this is the supreme absolute truth. So after he tests him by stealing away the calves and the boys, and then Krishna uh, bewilders Brahma and then manifests his internal potency to him, then Brahma says, Jnani Priyasamudapasyanamante Eva. Just give up all idea that you're going to understand God by your intellect. And he's the smartest person in the universe. Jnani Priyasamudapasyanamante Eva, Jivanti San Mukharitam Bhavadiya Vartam. Here comes the key line. Stani Stita Shuti Katam Tanavan Manobir means give your your body, mind, and soul with uh, uh, complete fixity on hearing from uh, the right source. And from that, he says, although Krishna is ajita, he's unconquerable, you'll be able to conquer him by your love. So uh, the Bhagavatam brings us through this process. It's not without clear scientific knowledge throughout the Bhagavatam. So that's different from somebody who uh, doesn't accept the authority of the Shastra and therefore uh, speculates on his or her own account to try to understand things. Now, uh, I'm almost done. This is coming to a close. We're going to sing next. Dhammanashtagam. Uh, so you'll find even within the Bhagavad Gita, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, sages are asking questions. Everyone's asking questions. But they've already concluded that there is an absolute truth. They're not in doubt of that anymore. And when they do ask very simple questions, they're asking for the benefit of everybody else. So um, there's a qualitative difference. So can I just, um, in conclusion, as for my understanding from what you said, that the main difference is that um, inductive logic and the personalities they use, they are not ready to accept the authority and they keep going on and on and on and about, on and on about it. So even after certain conclusions, they are still not ready to accept it and they still keep going about that, it. Yeah, and that, there's, there's a, uh, a phrase or a word, Muni, and probably it explains a Muni is somebody who agitates his or her mind to come up with a different conclusion than everybody else. And you find this in academia. You have to come up with all kinds of ideas in academia to outdo everybody else in your research. And uh, that's the same in uh, you know, the Vedic culture. There are all these munis that come up with these different philosophies to defeat other ones. And However, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that you, you should be a stita di muni, a muni who's... Uh, fixed in the absolute truth, as you just pointed out and summarized. You come to this point of understanding, yes, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and then using um, his or her intellect to present that. It's a difference, difference in munis.
Prashadam. Prashadam and Nitai Gore. Like uh, I said the other night, we were singing this song, Doyal Nitai Taitanya Boli The Mayavadi said, lined up inside the temple. They weren't smiling, they weren't dancing. They were just looking at us in a dull way until we started singing Nitai Gore. And they started dancing, smiling. And then, you know, it's a joyful process from Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It can break through the hard-heartedness of the, of the Mayavadi conception. Hare Krishna. And Lord Chaitanya, you know, Prakashananda Saraswati, he was very humble, was Mahaprabhu. He came in to meet them. He sat down in the, in the most lowly place in, in the assembly. And they... You know, they said, no, no, please come. And then he showed his uh, effulgence. And Sarvabhom Bhattacharya, he was also an impersonalist. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't say anything. He just sat there for seven days listening until Sarvabhom said, don't you have any questions? <laughs> he said, no, I understand it perfectly, but your explanations are covering the real meanings. Of, well, what's the real meaning then? What do you say something? And when Mahaprabhu spoke, because... Sarvabhom was an intellectual, then he could understand, use the vernacular, it blew his mind. Like anybody could be that intelligent. Because he was the smartest person in, in the world at that time. He could memorize whole books, and he did. He's still, you know, he's listed there as just like the phenomenal, most phenomenal scholar. But when he heard Chaitanya Mahaprabhu speak, this young 24-year-old, he said, oh my God, this is God. And, and, you know, he was converted by association. Good questions. TBC, to be continued. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivinoda ki jai, Gaur Premanande Hari Gaur.